are in week two of our sermon series, Small Changes, Choices Change Everything. And we're talking about that idea of prayer. Last week we talked about the, um, uh, uh, the idea of what is prayer. Why do we need prayer? What is prayer? How would we define prayer in our life? And we looked at the Gospel of Mark chapter 1 where we see the yes that happens. This alignment that God has with us. And we talked about how if we were to define prayer very briefly, it would be the proper alignment of God and us. It's that connection that we have to God. And when we are in proper alignment with God, we know more fully God's desires for us and God's purpose for us. Well, today we're continuing that conversation by talking about the core part of our faith. Why do we need to pray often? Why pray often? We talked about what prayer is, but why do we need to pray and pray often? It was 10 years ago this past January that um, I got a call while I was going down the tollway uh, down to Perkins um, for seminary. And it was a call from my best friend from high school. Her name's Nicole. And during uh, that conversation, when she called me, um, you know, we're one of those types of friends. We both moved to Lindale at the same time, seventh grade, and uh, didn't know anyone. And so we clicked very easily. And no matter how many years have gone by, every time that we get together, we just pick right back up where we left off. And so when I looked at my phone and saw her calling me, I thought, well, that's strange, but I'm going to answer the phone. And I answered the phone and she said, Julie, we have a problem. Dad's in the hospital. He's uh, down at Parkland. One of the joys of Nicole's family um, was and is her dad, Joe. Um, Joe worked at a funeral home in town, um, but was, is one of the most lively, um, fun people that you will ever meet. Um, and I remember going over to their house all the time in high school and Joe being like a second dad to me. Joe is also a volunteer firefighter. And in January 10 years ago, he had a roof collapse on top of him and was taken, rushed immediately from East Texas to Parkland Hospital. She said, we're at Parkland. There's been an accident. He's been in a fire. Um, he's not doing good. Um, and I need you to come down. And I said, okay, I'm on my way. I remember walking in to the hallway um, at Parkland. If you've ever been down there, not the new one, but the old Parkland, um, it's hard to get to, it's hard to find. But as soon as I made it to the burn unit, I knew where to go. There was over 30 people standing out in the hallway and in the visiting area, standing and waiting to hear what had happened to Joe, what was gonna be his prognosis, and was he gonna make it? He was in critical care unit for over nine months with over a dozen surgeries. And both that day and in the days and weeks that followed and even in the years that have followed, the question that I've asked, the question that his daughter Nicole asked was why God, why? 
Nicole had just gotten married a month before. And in the decade following, her life would look much different than she expected. That question of why is one that we come to often in our faith. Because our prayer life is not just about all the things that we're grateful for, all the blessing in our lives. It's not even all just about discernment. It is about being honest with God about where we are. Being honest with God about who we are. So today we are reading Psalm 22 that asks that why question. We'll read the first five verses and then we'll stop there. Chapter 22, starting in verse 1, says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me from the words of my groaning? Oh, my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night, but find no rest. Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel, and our ancestors trusted. They trusted, and you delivered them. To you they cried and were saved. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? If those words in this text sound familiar, it's because you hear them later in the New Testament as Jesus' last words on the cross. Both in Mark's gospel and Matthew's gospel, these are the last words that Jesus says. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This particular passage and chapter in Psalms is considered a passage of lament or a prayer of lament. And if we were to break it down this morning, I think that every single part of that sentence is probably important to our faith. The first part is why. My God, my God, why? Is it okay to ask God why? We know it's okay to ask maybe our parents the why questions. Maybe you've been in a, a teaching setting before or in a classroom before where you've either heard, there are no dumb questions or yes, there are dumb questions. So can we ask God why? What is not helpful in our spiritual life is maybe when we avoid it. Yes, we can ask God why. But when we come to those moments in our faith when we are struggling or suffering and we don't ask why, we break that alignment and we cause that disconnect with God. Asking God why is not only okay, but it is so crucial to our faith because it talks about honesty. Bringing exactly who you are, where you are, to your relationship with God. In the same way you would with a dear friend. You wouldn't hide all of the baggage. You wouldn't hide the hard stuff in the closet. You would come to your friend, that person that's important to you, with all of the hard stuff. When we ask God why, we recognize our humanity. We recognize that God is God and that we are not. We recognize that we are always going to have why questions. 
It is part of our existence. It is part of who we are as humans. And it is part of why Jesus says these words from the cross in a very human moment at the epitome of suffering. Jesus shows us to ask why. Not so that we can get the answers necessarily or the answers that we want, but because there is something so deeply important about letting go of control of thinking that we know it all or have it all or can do it all. The simple why question reminds us once again about humility. Humility in our humanity. What is helpful is asking why. Now, maybe what is not as helpful in our spiritual life is looking for shortcuts in prayer. Have you ever found yourself looking for a shortcut? I want an answer. I want it now. I want it. Do I have my phone on me? I don't have my phone on me. I was going to say Siri. You know, we ask our phone questions. We ask Google questions and we expect immediate response. And I wonder sometimes how many of us expect the same thing in our prayer life. You notice that in the scripture it doesn't say, God, give me an answer now. But it's a lament. It's a longing. Recognizing that the time is not, timing is not up to us. The answer is not up to us. There is so much that we do not control. We're not called to ask and demand for answers from God, but instead to say, God, why? God, walk with me through this. God, journey with me through my misunderstanding, my confusion, my wandering, and my curiosity. Why? So much of our lives are built around shortcuts. I could have said that 10 years ago. I could have said that 20 years ago, and it would be true. But think about our lives in this age of technology. We want immediacy, and we want answers. So much so that we expect it, and we demand it in our lives. I'm not a patient person to begin with. But almost every piece of my life is telling me, if you do this, if you upgrade to this, you will find a shortcut. Your life will be easier. And if your life is easier, then your life will be happier. And if your life is happier, then you won't have as many problems and you probably won't have as many questions. Spiritual shortcuts lead us to places disconnected from God rather than connected from God. That second word forsaken my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What a harsh word. What a word of lament. Of all of the words that Jesus could have said from the cross or, or the psalmist in this particular prayer, forsaken. That word forsaken means abandoned, deserted, renounced, turned away from entirely. You maybe have heard the phrase, a God-forsaken place, a place that is desolate and empty, a place that seems like God has abandoned. I've only said that about one particular place, 
And so I hope I don't offend anybody in this room. But y'all all know my, one of my dear friends, my best friend is, is Reagan Gilliland, Pastor Reagan. And um, she was, uh, we were on a road trip going to Colorado and we were going through Kansas to see her family first. If you've heard Reagan preach, you've heard about Kansas and you've heard about her love for Kansas. Now I'm not saying all um, of Kansas is a God forsaken place, but we were driving through the most flat, desolate, empty area, and she is taking pictures out the window. It's like, we're going to Colorado. What are you even taking a picture of? Is there something I'm not seeing? Is this like, where's Waldo? But think about for a minute, a God-forsaken place, a place that is deserted, empty. What the psalmist is asking here. Why have you forsaken me? Why have you left me alone? Why am I in isolation? That seems like harsh words to ask of God. We can ask why questions of God, but have any of us ever been real enough with God to say, God, I feel forsaken. God, I am at the lowest point of my life that I don't know where you are or maybe if you even exist. What I love about the Psalms and what it teaches us about prayer that Jesus then goes on to reiterate as he quotes from the Psalms is that there is an importance in grieving. There is an importance in honesty. Because I think in our more modern day culture, we think we are not supposed to feel a certain way. We think that we can logically work through something, that our emotions should follow suit. But our emotions do not work that way. We think that if we could just logically work something out, then our emotions should just do the same thing. Some of you know that I'm a big fan of Brene Brown. She came out with a book over the past couple of years called Atlas of the Heart. And then she says, research shows that the process of labeling emotional experience is related to greater emotional regulation and psychosocial well-being. Now that's a lot. But she goes on to say, the more difficult it is for us to articulate our experiences of loss, longing, and feeling lost to people around us, the more disconnected and alone we feel. That's incredibly important. The more difficult it is for us to articulate our emotions or our willingness to articulate our emotions the more disconnected we actually feel. It's not in hiding that we feel disconnected that makes us more connected or hopefully that gets us to a better place. It's actually in naming it where we find belonging and connection once again. And the same is true with our relationship and prayer life with God. There is not a prayer too big. There is not a question too big. There is nothing in your life, suffering or struggling wise, that you are wrestling with that God cannot handle. God can handle the word forsaken. What God desires for us, what prayer life does for us when we are honest and when we choose to articulate those emotions is we find connection with God rather than disconnection with God. We find that our belonging is with God. And so then finally, 
we hear how that entire sentence starts. My God, my God. There is a personal connection here. There is permission giving here. When you are with people that you can be completely yourself with, regardless of what has happened, regardless of how heartbreaking it is, you find that you can say, my God. You can own that you are a child of God. It's just like the, the song that we sang at the very beginning of worship. I am a child of God. Yes, I am. Starting even a hard question, naming a really hard word like forsaken, but starting it with my God shows a personal connection that we have to God that is special, that is distinct, and that is crucial to our faith. My God, even in the doubt and even in the question, my God, why have you forsaken me? But the psalmist doesn't leave us there in the scripture in the same way that Jesus does not remain on the cross. We have this turning point in the psalm, in Psalm 22, where we go from a prayer for help to a praise for help. So starting in verse 22, we see this turning point. Going from questions and suffering and struggle to a praise for God's help. In verse 22, it says, you who fear the Lord, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him. Stand in awe of him, all of you offspring of Israel. For he did not despise or abhor the affliction of the afflicted. He did not hide his face from me, but heard when I cried to him. From you comes my praise in the great congregation. My vows I will pay before those who fear him. The poor shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him shall praise the Lord. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nation shall worship before him. For dominion belongs to the Lord and he rules over all the nations. To him indeed shall all who sleep in the earth bow down. Before him shall bow down all who go down to the dust and shall live for him, with him forever. Posterity will serve him. Future generations will be told about the Lord and proclaim his deliverance to a people yet unborn, saying that he has done it. So we see this psalm, this prayer, go for a prayer for help to a praise for help, thanking God that God does not leave us in our suffering. Maybe the most important reason that we should be honest with God and lament to God in our prayer life is because we are people of hope. We are people who believe that God does not leave us there. We are people who know that we maybe don't have a say in the timing or what that hope looks like, but what we know is that God never leaves us. And that when we cling to that hope, we recognize that God does not desert us in our pain and that there is a light at the end of the tunnel. 
The second part about this particular scripture, this second half that's a switch for us, is that it goes from personal to community. The writer goes from saying, my God, to talking about the nations, talking about the nation of Israel, the community, the people of God. And right there at the end, posterity will serve him. Future generations will be told about the Lord and proclaim his deliverance to a people yet unborn, saying that he has done it. Not only for the community that is here and present in this moment, but for future generations. The community will be a community of hope that will proclaim that God is a God who doesn't leave us in our suffering, but is a God instead of resurrection. Today, the small choice that maybe we can make is to be people who pray for hope. Now, some of us are not going through times of suffering or struggle right now, and thanks be to God for that. And so maybe it is your call this week to pray for hope for someone who needs it in their life. Maybe to pray for hope for something going on in your own life. Something that you see, direction that you need. How would you finish that sentence this week? God, I pray for hope in the midst of. God, I pray that you show me your hope in a new way. So Joe spent 10, 9 to 10 months in Parkland Hospital. And over that time, um, we're, we're a small community in Lindale, a small town. The community began to rally around Joe and, and Joe's family, his wife and his daughter, Nicole. And so there were many fundraisers. There were many group gatherings. Um, His wife ended up staying at a hospital or at a hotel so that she didn't have to travel back and forth um, from the hospital. For 10 months, she lived in a hotel. And Joe went through surgery after surgery. And one of the best parts of uh, the experience was a 5K run that was done to raise money for Joe. And they made shirts. There were many uh, signs in different people's yards that say pray for Joe, but what became an ongoing statement and, and saying during this time was fight for Joe. We are fighting for Joe. And there were shirts that were made, there were signs that were made in people's yard, but I want you to hear how similar those two things are. Pray for Joe, fighting for Joe. As a community of faith, we believe in a God that is for us and a God that is fighting for us. Joe, of course, made it out of the hospital. There was a parade in town when he came home. But Joe didn't get to determine what that hope looked like, what living now looked like. The past 10 years have been years of trying to figure out who am I now? A person that looks very different after so many surgery, a person that has had to figure out with disabilities now how to use a fork and a pen, a person that has had their struggles even during the parade. But what I believe and what I know about Joe is that those words continue to be part of who he is. We fight 
fighting for who you are, who God says you are, for what God has called you to. Sometimes when we ask those why questions, sometimes when we have those forsaken moments and emotions, it is time for us to get in the ring with God. Because what we find is regardless of our anger, regardless of our pain, our struggle, is that God is in the ring with us, not looking to fight us, but to fight for us. We worship a God that is fighting for us, a God who is with us, but also a God who is for us. This week, I pray that in the moments in your prayer life, whether they are long or whether they are simple and short, that you pray for a sense of hope in your life and for our community and for the people that you love around you and for the people you don't even know. Because that same God who promises to fight for us here in this room is the God who is fighting for this world, building the kingdom of God here on earth as it is in heaven and has asked for us to be a part of it. Pray for those people. Pray for the living hope of God to be present in your life in some way this week. Amen.